Hi, I'm Dirk Friel, co-founder of Training Peaks, and you're listening to the Training Peaks Coachcast. I'll be sitting down with expert endurance coaches and amazing athletes, each with special stories to tell. At its heart, Training Peaks is about helping you create the best journey possible towards your endurance goals. We hope these stories inspire you to get out there, train with purpose, and never be afraid to sign up for that next big challenge. Today, I'm excited to speak with pro road cyclist Aisha McGowan and her coach Jim Lehman. Aisha is the first African-American female pro road cyclist. She started racing in 2014, and she currently races for Live Racing and entered 2020 with high hopes. Then COVID hit. Jim is a premier coach at Carmichael Training Systems and has a wealth of knowledge, having been a resident coach at the Olympic Training Center and as a USA Cycling Paralympic coach at three Olympic Games. This is a powerful conversation between an athlete and her coach dealing with the mental side of unforeseen circumstances and how she chose to proceed. Thanks, guys, for joining me. Uh, Yisha and Jim, um, so proud to have you on the show today. Thanks for, thanks for uh, getting on in this hot afternoon. Hello. Yeah, glad to be here. I guess I'd love to start with your story, Aisha, and, and the progress that you've made in kind of a short amount of time. But what, what first of all, what drew you to cycling, the sport of cycling, and, and, and then that led to this huge commitment level on your side? Why, why the sport of cycling? Um, it was for transportation purposes. I started riding as a commuter. I went to college in Boston at Berkeley College Music, and uh, the transportation system there is garbage. <laughs> and yeah. so a friend recommended that I get a bike. And so I asked my mom for her old bike and got it fixed up and started riding. So there was no intention of being an athlete per se, but just trying to get around better. And so th- how does that lead to, you know, loving the bike? <laughs> um, I assume you love the bike and the passion for it and, you know, all the progress <laughs> you've made. So what, what, how did that pr- uh, tra- uh, transcend? Uh, well, I mean, I was intending to just, you know, use it for transportation, but it ended up being very life-changing in a way that it provided a freedom to explore a city that was new to me. Um, I was no longer having to pay for a train or wait for the train. And that was awesome. And like, I know people look at like bikes and like recreation as work and activity, but for me, it just helps me be lazier. Um, Like it took me 30 minutes by train to to do my full commute, but I could do it in like under 15 on a bike. And so I could (laughs) sleep in a little longer and save money and not have to like, like I could pick my own route and do what I want. And I wasn't on a timetable. It was fantastic. Um, and it also gave me a better understanding of where I was at any given point. I think it's a thing that we take for granted when we use like subway systems where you kind of go into this tunnel and then you just emerge somewhere else, but you have no idea how you got there. Um, and I am just navigationally challenged. So it made me learn, (laughs) um, how to get around because Boston, the, the city mapping, like the street planning was basically done by cows <laughs> and they just went back <laughs> over it with uh, pavement. So <laughs> it's not the best planned city overall. There are some grid sections, but for the most part, it's like 
you're on a street and then it just turns into another street, but nobody told you. And it's just super confusing. Uh, And I was able to kind of get a much better grasp on how to get around because I was doing it myself. So it was great. So so how about the competitive side of things? How how did you get into the competition side then? Um, It took a while. I didn't consider it as a competitive thing. Um, And I didn't really start racing sanctioned races for about seven years. I went over the, like along a course of getting into advocacy and doing like street races and gold sprints and like kind of just fun community-based type competition. Um, But eventually I decided to try the sanction thing because that's what my friends were getting into. It wasn't so much a like strong desire on my own initially. And I, for a while, didn't even know it was possible. Um, so as soon as I figured right. it out and I tried it, I was hooked. Pretty nice. Much. Yeah. Really cool. So Jim, you're, you're the coach behind the scenes here. Uh, I'd love to hear more about, um, your start into coaching and, you know, your why behind, I guess, all that you do for, for athletes. Sure. Sure. Um, I grew up playing soccer. I played all the way through high school and I had this dream of playing in college at a division one school. And I, I managed to do that. I walked on, made the team. And, uh, I think after years of, of being involved in socks in soccer, I probably like a lot of people reached a point where it just wasn't fun anymore. Um, and I had been getting involved in cycling, but you know, growing up in Northeast Ohio, our summers are pretty short, uh, by the time. And this was, in the probably mid to late eighties, maybe there was some technical clothing out there for cycling, but I didn't possess any of it. So I was basically riding in, you know, mostly cotton or, or stuff that we use for skiing, which is not very conducive. Um, so I really wouldn't ride a bike outside until late April, early May. We'd have May, June, July, by mid July, late July, we had to start running again for soccer. So it was a pretty small cycling season for us. Um, coinciding with that, I, I had seen Greg LeMond win worlds in 83, Alexi Graywall, you know, wins the gold in LA in 84. Those two things kind of drew me to the sport. I didn't have Mm -hmm. anybody I knew who raced bikes, but I just, Mm -hmm. I saw that and I kind of fell in love with at least the idea of it. Um, and it wouldn't be, I guess the first race I did would have been in 86 as a junior. No idea what I was doing crashed in the first corner. My mom drives me to Parkersburg, West Virginia, um, to do this race, crash in the first corner, pulled probably five or six laps later. Uh, and somehow okay. that didn't deter me from wanting to continue. Right. Um, the coaching piece through playing soccer, we had gotten involved. My buddy and I, we coached some youth programs and, and we worked, we eventually worked at the soccer camp that we went to when we were kids. Um, so the coaching piece, that sort of giving back piece, um, had been there through cycling and we had done some coach education with soccer. Um, so the coaching piece had kind of grown out of that. I, you know, raced, rode my bike. I still love riding my bike, but I had gotten to a point where I, I racing it and, and thinking that I was going to make some, some kind of a career out of being a bike racer, you know, I reality set in and, and I started to look into this idea of, well, how can I stay involved in the sport? as a coach or, or in some format, um, I had gone to, to 
graduate school at Northern Arizona University in Flagstaff to get a master's in exercise physiology and quickly realized that while that was fun, it's not really applicable in the real world right away. Um, not in a way that I wanted to do it anyway. Um, so I ended up doing an internship at USA Cycling in 97, uh, lived in the dorms, was the resident coach for the juniors at that time. And that kind of got me hooked. And that's when Chris Carmichael was the national team director. And, and he was leaving shortly after that. And it just sort of, he was starting CTS a little bit after that. So it was an easy transition for me. Um, and that was, you know, 1999, early 2000. Um, and here we are. It's a sign that we're definitely not young anymore. Um, <laughs> 20 years can pass like that. Um, yeah. But it's opened up a ton of doors and I, it's, it's allowed me to work with, you know, dozens of wonderful people and wonderful athletes. And I also work with the U.S. paracycling team as one of their national team coaches. So that has opened up opportunities to go to three different Paralympic games with them. And, and it's, uh, yeah, it's as much for me, as much a lifestyle as it is a profession. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's awesome here. You also have the psychology degree. It's almost the best of <laughs> correct all, right. all worlds, you know, right. ex phys, uh, master of science, psychology degree. Um, you know, we'll get into that. A lot of this relationship, coach athlete relationship conversation, I want to dig into that stuff. So Aisha, have you, obviously Jim's your coach. Did you have any other cycling guidance or coaches prior to Jim? Uh, yeah. Uh, I started, when I started racing, I had a mentor. He was the closest thing I had, had to a coach at the time. And he was just, he just offered to like teach me anything I wanted to learn. Um, yeah he took me on my first like real road ride. And I remember really? like we had to stop cause I didn't know how to like eat and ride at the same time. So we pulled over <laughs> so I could like have a snack. Um, I remember him taking me to S central park and knocking me around, <laughs> knocking me around, which sounds terrible, right. but it was like yeah. getting used to contact, like, just like bumping into each other and like on the grass. So it was like, if I had to encounter that in a race, I wouldn't be so terrified. Um, cause I have a very, very big personal bubble, which is hilarious as a bike racer. <laughs> I do not, I don't, I, I'm not a hugger. I don't like people in my personal space. So that was definitely like something that was very helpful and valuable to me. Um, <laughs> it's also good in COVID. <laughs> oh, it's perfect for this. <laughs> like, this is my time to Stay shine. Away. Stay away. <laughs> this is, this is my moment. Um, but <laughs> I, I don't know. He was just great. And he was never, I think he's the reason that I was sucked into the sport as much as I was, um, because he was so inviting and so willing to, to like meet me where I was instead of oh. a lot of other encounters that I had. People told me like, you have to do things this way, or you can't do this because you're built this way or shaped this way. And all kinds of advice that was not true. And he was just kind of like, I think you've got a lot of potential and I'm willing to help you however I can. Um, and so yeah. that was really great. And then I think my first real bike season, I joined the Ride Brooklyn local team um, because that's what my friends were doing. And we had uh, a deal where we could have affordable coaching from a local coach in, in the Brooklyn area, Hennick, uh -huh. and it gets, yeah. and he was fantastic. Um, wow. And 
it was a, a world away from when I was training by myself for the Red Hook Crit. And I didn't know yeah. what that meant, like what training meant other than just kind of riding. And then when I got into that race, I was pretty much like Jim. I didn't know what, I didn't know what I was doing <laughs> and mm. it didn't, it didn't go well. Um, so it was really nice to have that structure. And then I started working with, I, I think I've had three coaches, like three actual coaches other than Jim. And it just never really clicked. Um, it's just such a, it's like a specific balance that it takes, I guess. And I don't know if that's because of me and my personality or if that's the same thing that other people experience, but I've had a lot of very interesting coaching experiences that did not work for me. Um, right. and now I have one that does, and I'm really happy about it. <laughs> yeah, that's super. I've, I've read an interview that you gave where you talked about, you know, the trust in the coach you know, there's so much of that. You're handing over your dreams, I think you you said, um, you know, to this coach and that trust um, comes into play. How did you, how how long you, you two been working together? I think it's two years now. Is that correct? Yeah, I think we hit the two-year market in, yeah. in June. And it takes a while to build that trust or did you kind of see something immediately that was like different than your past experiences? Um, so before I started working with Jim, I was kind of floating around by myself because I, um, terminated my previous coaching relationship and I was kind of traumatized to be honest. Um, and so I was very distrustful of everybody. Right. Um, and right. I, you know, I, I'm a sponsored athlete from CTS. And so when they reached out to me, um, they gave me Jim's name as a possibility and I, I realized that he'd worked with Justin Williams, who's a person's opinion that I do trust. Um, mm -hmm. And when I reached out to him, it was just nothing but excitement and like, yeah, for sure. Like, this is a great idea. You should definitely do it. Um, and that allowed me to kind of go in with trust where I was like, all right, until further notice, <laughs> I'm going to just right. go, go with it. Um, and it, that, that's really worked out in my favor. Um, but yeah. I think like a coach athlete relationship is probably one of the closest relationships in like an athlete's life <laughs> um, right. because you have to kind of tell way more about yourself than you might want to in order for the coach to be able to help you in the way that you need to be helped. And so there has to be like a trust with that information. And I found in previous relationships where the balance just wasn't there and I didn't, I wasn't trustful of, of people. And so, yeah, I think I answered hmm. your question. Yeah, no, definitely. Jim, what about, <laughs> tell us more about Aisha, you know, the, the communications there, you know, obviously every athlete's different. Um, you know, is, is she, are you getting everything out of her that you need in terms of that, uh, relationship? Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I will, I'll defer for a second and, and just answer one of Aisha's, when she mentioned earlier, like, is this the way it is for everybody, you know, needing to trust and needing to feel a connection with that coach and, and or does everybody need something special? And I would say, yes, I think that coach athlete relationship is just like any other relationship uh, you have in your life. Everybody need certain things or different things, right? Yeah, I think we talked about the other day, you can't have just a, you know, a, a generic training plan is fine to get people started. But this right. idea of a coach athlete relationship, 
needs to be tailored to that person in terms of their their goals, their physical uh, strengths and weaknesses, and then also their personality. How do they like to communicate and, and what are they willing to share? And I always ask people to share as much as they can. Just like Aisha said, you, you sometimes you're you're sharing more than you think you normally would. But for me, and I, it then paints a much fuller and cl- complete picture where I know like if there's other stressors going on or what things motivate them or are they struggling with relationships or a career and all of those things impact their performance on the bike. So knowing those things is, is really helpful. And I think being able to, to talk in our, our age of email and text those are fine, but you never get the, the, uh, you don't hear the person's, the energy in their voice or lack of energy in their voice. And <laughs> as you get to know somebody, right, you get to know that, oh, hey, wait a second, what's going on? You don't, you don't sound like yourself today. Um, right. And in a text message, if I just ask and someone says, yeah, I feel okay, that could be read in many different ways, right? But if you hear somebody say, oh, I feel okay, right? wait a second, well, that doesn't sound okay. You may be saying the words, but something's different from the way the way you normally would respond to that question. Um, yeah, what I yeah, I I love everything that you're saying. It, obviously, it's not all about the numbers, right? You know, it's hearing that that voice. So obviously, you guys talk by telephone. You're in different states, halfway across the you know Colorado versus Georgia. Um, how much do you try and communicate um, via telephone? Um, you know, it probably varies. Um, you know, we have talked probably more at the start of this sort of lockdown quarantine and, you know, knowing, getting, as I've gotten to know Aisha, I also have gotten to know, um, sort of her boundaries or her, um, what she, again, what she wants out of this. And we, we talked early about, okay, well, we've got still, these things are going on. Colorado Classic might still happen. And then as things started to shut down, we had had a couple conversations about, well, right now I think I just need to to take a step back and just ride my bike for a while. I'm I'm not in a place to do intervals. And right now, and I, at that point we just sort of, you know, we, we talked about it. We just, I would go into training peaks and I'd sort of put, you know, three days of hour and a half per week, just to, just so she had something to look at. But I also, we talked about the fact that I'm not expecting you. If you wake up and you go, you know what? I feel awesome and I want to ride my bike and I'm going to ride for three hours. Great. It, it was I much about my computer in a couple of months at this point. <laughs> yeah. Right. Understandable. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry about that. <laughs> oh, again, it, it, we've talked about it. It was as much about keeping you mentally healthy as well as physically healthy Be- yeah. because it didn't make sense. And again, some people I, I've, and I have some athletes and you probably know people as well who during this time, they're like, hey, no, just let's keep going as if we're racing on on August 1. Or even if I'm not racing August 1, let's just keep up the cycle. I, I like the intervals. I like the structure. And that keeps me grounded. Other people, and Aisha, I think, falls into that camp, at least for the time being, was more of a, I, I can't, I don't want to do it. I can't do it. There's so many other things happening right now that I can't be I can't, I can't do it at a hundred percent. And if I'm going to do it, I want to do it at a hundred percent. And right now I can't do that. I don't have the physical or mental energy to do it right now. So we just yeah. sort of backed off a little bit. And then it was more of a, I would check in once in a while. Um, also just trying to give her space, knowing that there was a lot of things going on, but also not wanting to let, you know, weeks go by where we had no contact feeling like she's been ignored or I've forgotten about her because, Oh, you don't want to train. So I'll just, 
leave you to your own and I won't think about you until you're ready to, to train again. Because I think that's it too. You want to make sure that this person's well-being is being taken care of. And, and we are more than just be athletes at this point, right? You have to take care of the person because it, when they are ready to go, you want to make sure that you've been part of that journey and you know where they are. So you're not sort of trying to pick up three months later, two months later, trying to pick up and go, okay, well, let's see, where are you? Where have you been over these last you know months? Um, and recapping all of that and then go, oh, okay, well, now I know where to start. For me, it was way easier just to keep that going, but also being respectful of, you know, not trying to keep, not trying to push her to train until she was ready. Yeah. So Aisha, what have been the highs and lows throughout these, you know, months of COVID, you know, what, what have been the highs and lows and what has that journey been like? Um, I think at first I don't, I, I just wasn't sure. And I'm, I consider myself to be, I guess, a realist in a lot of ways where I never thought that the two week quarantine was going to be it. Um, mm. And so I guess mentally I shut down pretty early. I'm not going to lie about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, That's probably all, a good thing now. It all felt really pointless really quickly. Um, and I think mm. part of that is that I'd just been chugging along for five years straight with no breaks whatsoever, really. And I'm, I was just tired. <laughs> and then when the world started to shut down, I was like really annoyed. Cause I, you know, I just signed a pro contract and it was like, this is happening and I'm going to do this and the season's going to be awesome. And then COVID and I'm like, of course, right? of course, right. this has got to yeah. be some unknown Murphy's law or something. It's like, I just, <laughs> it, not it, for me. It was really frustrating. Um, and I thought for my own sanity, I had to like take a step back. And it was like gradual steps back where at first we were still kind of training, just not as hard. Um, and I, I was doing the Zwift thing pretty consistently for a while. And then I got really burnt out on that. Um, and even li just living in Georgia, like all of our environments right now are different. So like where I am, Currently, my governor is suing the mayor of Atlanta because she wants people to wear masks. And it's it's just chaos. Right. And so I would go out to the store, I would go somewhere, and it seemed like nobody else realized that there was a pandemic happening. And I think mentally the way that was affecting me was not good. Um, right. And so I'm... I've been going in and out of this idea of like, is it me? Like, am I, am I insane for thinking that we should be taking this seriously or is it not a big deal? Um, and that aspect of things was already a lot. And then you add, you know, the George Floyd murder and all of the civil unrest that resulted. And I, that was, that was it. That was the line for me. <laughs> and yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I couldn't function. Um, let alone train for bike. Bike racing didn't matter anymore in that moment. Right. Um, right. And so like I was having trouble eating and having trouble sleeping and I'm still having trouble with those things. Um, but to not have to train like I'm trying to race in addition to struggling with those things is probably a much healthier scenario than not eating, not sleeping and trying to train for bike racing. <laughs> Um, right. especially knowing there's no bike racing coming. So and, and is, yeah. is the bike for you now, can you look at it as ther therapy? Can you look at it as an outlet? 
Is it to that or is it absolutely I can't look at the bike? Um, It's not that I can't look at the bike. I really enjoy riding bikes. And it's been kind of weird where I, I guess for a little background, I've never ridden road bikes just for fun. Um, like right. in totality, it was always like as soon as I started riding road bikes, it was because I wanted to race them. Before mm-hmm. riding road bikes, I was I was a fixie kid for a while. So I was riding fixed gear bikes around New York City as a commuter for fun or doing alley cat races or gold sprints or whatever. And so when I got a road bike, it was for competition. And so I've never been able to just ride my bike um, without having that anxiety in the back of my mind that I needed to be thinking about what this can do for me as a competitor. And so right now I'm able to just do that. And it's so weird and really refreshing in a way because I like, I find myself pushing it and then I'm like, wait a minute, I don't have to do this. And it's also 90 degrees. (laughs) 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 Um, And it's fun. Not that I hated training. Like I really enjoy training. I enjoy pushing myself, but I also never explored that part of riding road bikes that could just, be for the sake of riding them. And I didn't even realize it until now when I started doing it. Um, And so I'm enjoying riding bikes just to ride bikes. And on Wednesdays, I ride my e-bike to pick up my farm share. And that's a really fun experience Um, because e-bikes are fun. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Um, And also just discovering like the different kinds of bikes that I'm fortunate in that I'm a sponsored athlete and I do have access to all of these different kinds of bikes. And so being able to like wake up and say, Oh, I want to ride gravel today or I want to ride road today or whatever I feel like doing. And I can just do that. And it's not that I couldn't do that before because Jim has been really, really flexible um, in helping me incorporate the things that bring me joy into the training and make, and that makes it more viable. But I've always been my biggest barrier as far as like mentally feeling like I still need to make this training somehow, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's been nice to just ride a bike to ride a bike because it's fun. And I haven't done that in years. That's great. So, so what were the initial goals coming into this season for you? Um, (laughs) I really wanted to win a pro race. Yeah. I think that would be, I thought that'd be really cool and really fun. And I was feeling on track to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I, I don't feel like that's an unachievable goal in the future. Still, I clearly have to work back up to that. Um, but that, that was, that was the goal. I've, I've, I've always been in this weird spot where I really enjoy competition but I also just enjoy being a part of it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Right. Where everyone loves winning. I'd be a liar if I said I didn't like winning things, but I also just like playing the game. Um, and and for me, the biggest part of my journey has been the representation portion and just knowing that if I don't show up, there's a 98% chance that there will be no black women in that race. And like that that part alone excites me um, to be able to, to bring that representation so that if there are other people there that can like relate to that, they get really excited. They always get really excited and that feels really nice. 
Um, and right. so that aspect for me has always been a really driving force. Like I'd never had Olympic dreams or any of that. I've never wanted to be the best in the world. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't understand. Like whenever we look at athletes or even professional athletes, it's kind of like everybody's aspiring to be the next, next Serena or Michael Jordan or Kobe or whoever. And I've never wanted that. I just wanted to be there um, and kind of create pathways for the people who do want to do that. Um, So, yeah, but I also want to, it'd be really cool to win a race. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're, you're definitely inspiration for a lot, you know, having the role models out there, we need more role models. That's, that's, you know, so, so important. Um, Jim, are you gonna, I guess, you know, thinking about going into next year, you know, do you think about what, what would be the first things you'd, you'd dig into? Um, I, I assume you guys are just, you know, there is no racing this year. You guys are just planning on at this point, now that Colorado has been canceled, it, it, it's, it's foregone conclusion, no racing, I take it. At this point, I don't, I don't see anything really happening in the U S. Um, and I think, you know, as we look at, you know, our kids are supposed to go back to school in four weeks. We still don't even know if they're going back to school, you know, where will we be even in six months or 12 months? It's still really hard to know what, what the, you know, what our situations are going to look like regardless of bike racing. So I think part of it will, will wait Again, you know, base, you know, and I, it, you know, part of it depends on, you know, Aisha may wake up in October and go, you know what, I'm ready. Let, <laughs> let's train as if, you know, I'm racing in March, it, irregardless of what we know. Um, or we may just continue to tread lightly and, and figure out how to keep on the bike, keep the, you know, that base level of fitness going and, and let her, you know, and that's the beauty of it, right? I think when you find joy in riding, you find yourself going hard. And pushing yourself a little bit because you're having fun, not because you have to do three by 15 and get it done, but because you're enjoying going hard and you're enjoying being outside. So I think part of it, we'll just have to wait and see when we have some more concrete dates, it'll be much easier to work. Okay. So whatever the date is, it's, it's May 1st. We work backwards from May 1st and figure out when we're going to start training, um, yeah. based on what happens over the fall and winter. Um, it, I think it's really hard. Again, some people are different, but I think with Aisha and, and, at least currently where she is and her approach and where we've sort of taken this right now is we, I would just wait and see until we have something more concrete to, to aim for. Uh, that would be a priority right now for me. Yeah. So if, if things let's, let's go back a year ago when things were normal, Aisha, tell me more about Jim and his coaching style. Um, I, I'm thinking of words. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Think of the right ones. Where does it line up? Where, where does it rub you wrong? (laughs) It doesn't rub me wrong, which is fascinating to me every single day because I'm, I'm a pretty particular person. (laughs) Um, And I, I, I find Jim to be very refreshing. That's the word that I will use Um, Ah, because it, his coaching style goes very, very well with my personality and that like, I'm confident about a lot of things, but I'm also very unsure of myself in a lot of ways. And like, there are certain people where if you ask questions, they won't really answer them. They'll just kind of throw something at you. But like, I feel like with 
Jim, he always says something comforting, even if it's not like, it, it doesn't feel like babying, if that makes sense, but it's still comforting in a way where I feel like I have a direction to go in. Like there's a lot of, of times where I just feel really anxious about things or very unsure about things. For example, if I'm just having a terrible, terrible go of it or mismanage my time and I'm just like, hey, I can't get this workout in today. Like, what do I do? And I found myself in the past, like <laughs> getting on the trainer at like 1130 at night. <laughs> like, right. I need to do this. But it's never a good workout, super ineffective. <laughs> it's like some panicked version of something. Um, but I found that, like, I have that, like, I, we've built that trust to the point where I can say, like, this isn't going to happen today. And he'll tell me what we can do instead. And I like that. Right. Um, and I guess the best example of of me having a full-on meltdown, <laughs> which I guess is not necessarily your question. All right, here we go. <laughs> um, so it was Redlands two years ago, 2018, I want to say. Um, and like, I couldn't eat anything, like couldn't eat anything. And I tried to, like, I was forcing myself to eat and couldn't keep anything down. <laughs> and I'd been puking all morning and I found myself at the start of, uh, what's that Oak Glen? Um, yeah. and there's like a waiting area where there's like a set of bathrooms and like a gazebo kind of far in the back. And I was sitting in this gazebo, just crying mm. <laughs> mm. and talking to Jim <laughs> and he kind of, he just talked me through it. And I don't like, I don't know how you deal with like a crying person who's been puking all morning about to go into a bike race. but I felt I felt comforted in that it's okay just keep going do what you can and that felt okay to me where I feel like there could have been so many reactions to that um like reactions of like why 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 are you here or you shouldn't do this or you can't do this or anything could have happened, but there was no, it was, it, it always feels very stable, even if I'm not, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, it sounds like, I mean, Jim, you're trying to almost educate the athlete. I mean, you know, you're giving them the permission, correct, to, to do otherwise, um, and allow that to be natural. Right. And I, and I think again, for me, and I think it's probably why, you know, you, you can have a great coach and a great athlete and they're just like you could introduce, Hey, you should meet my friend. So-and-so you guys are going to be perfect together. And there could be two great people, but they just, their personalities or whatever it is, they don't match up. And I believe the same is true with coach athlete relationship. You can have an amazing coach and an amazing athlete, but they don't connect on whatever level, whether it's personality, communication style, um, coaching philosophy, their athletic philosophy, um, you know, what they want to get out of it. And for me, and I, and I know there's athletes that I just wouldn't be, I wouldn't be effective with them and, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't flourish under, you know, working with me because I'm not a, a you know, the way I communicate or the way I, you know, react to things. I'm not a yeller. Um, I tend <laughs> to be pretty calm and even keel. And I appreciate I, it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's a big part of it because you have to know again, if, if or if you know that, okay, when Aisha's in this situation and I yell at her or I tell her, you know, just get out there, it doesn't matter, you gotta win. 
And she goes, all right, perfect. And I, she does that. That's one thing, right? It, it, but you have to know mm-hmm. how that athlete's going to respond. But generally, I don't, I can't do that very well anyway. And if I do it, it doesn't feel very genuine. And I think people see through it. Like, what are you, why are you yelling at me? You never yell at me. Um, right. So I think with, with knowing how someone's motivated and, and knowing also what the perspective is, like, why are my bike racing? I, I bike racing because I enjoy it. And if it's not enjoyable, why, why would you keep doing it? Right. And, and, and allowing right. someone to just go, Hey, let's start, see what happens. If it, you still feel horrible, great. Pull the plug after one lap or get yeah. in the car after 10 miles or two miles, but you know, at least try, but it's okay. You don't have to suffer and push yourself all the way to the finish today. If, if it's not important to you and if it's not <laughs> going to make you feel better about it. And I think that's right. the difference of knowing, knowing the athlete and then again, knowing what's going to keep them involved in the sport. And, and also with Aisha, knowing that there's a bigger picture in this, you know, at, right. as with most female bike racers, they're not doing it for the money. Well, most men don't either for that matter, but there's a, there's more going on than just pinning the number on and trying to win a bike race. Um, yeah. and I think with what Aisha is trying to do in her further mission of representation and growing the cycling community, people of color, particularly black women, if you're having a miserable experience, people are going to see that and go, that looks horrible. Why, why would I want to do that? Like that doesn't look like fun. Yeah. So being able to be successful and, and striving to win races. But I think to Aisha's point earlier, only one person wins, right? So if there's a hundred people on the line, there's 99 other people that you could, you know, if they, if you just look at that as winning and not winning, then there's 99 people that didn't win. They failed but there's so many other things that you could do in that bike race that still makes it a success. And you can yeah. still have something positive come out of it just because you, you don't win. It doesn't mean it wasn't a great day. Right. Well, Aisha, I love your honesty about how, you know, it's tough times now. You just can't get your, your head there to do the, the training per se. Right. Um, and you're open and honest about that. And, you know, but yet you're still a cyclist you know, you still are that at heart. Um, and, and are you putting more energy into your podcast? I know you have quick Brown foxes and the, and the blog. Um, how does that playing a role within, um, maybe some of your focus these days? Um, focus is a strong word <laughs> these days. Uh, I think I've, I'm allowing myself to take it one day at a time. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm having a really hard time with all of, all of this stuff. And, I have accepted that I'm probably not alone in that. And I think there's this like thing we do in our society where we have to like look okay all the time and have to like make other people feel like we're okay all the time. And I I think there's a huge danger in that. And especially, you know, in our sport where we've got so many high achieving, like high achievers or people who are trying to be (laughs) high achievers um, and they don't take the time to be human. Uh, and it ne- it doesn't end well. <laughs> I remember yeah. uh, the first time I did Redlands, actually, one of my teammates quit bike racing in the middle of the night, the day before the uh, first stage. And I didn't understand it at the time. <laughs> right. Um, um, like, what experiences had this person gone through that in the middle of, like, literally at two in the morning, they called home and someone had to come from, I was, we came down from the bay someone drove all the way from the San Francisco Bay area to come pick them up because they were done with bike racing for like 
in totality, not just not racing this race, but just mm-hmm. quit bike racing. And they were very talented. Um, but they, you know, it spit them out because all they, all they were doing was trying to achieve, 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 and not giving themselves the space to be a human and, and, right. and taking the time to understand when they did need to take a step back. And I mean, before I was a bike racer, I was, you know, already a person struggling with, you know, depression and anxiety and ADHD and all the things that come with that. And so I, I guess I've, I'm better equipped in a way to know when I'm at my limit um, and when I do need to take a step back. But I also know that if I do that, that it, it, I will be able to come back to it when I'm in a healthier spot, come back to whatever I need to come back to and, and do whatever I want to do and be able to do it well and enjoy it. Um, and that's my priority. That's always right. been my priority. Um, yeah, yeah, that's great. That's, uh, that's awesome. Um, I don't know how to do any better than that. You know, on the, the facade of Instagram and media and all things telling us what, you know, perfection should be. And, and it's certainly not like that. So certainly that's a very profound statements. I love hearing that. Um, Guys, I um, I have a goosebumps on for this conversation. I love it. We haven't talked about numbers. We've been talking about all the you know coach relationship stuff, um, good times and bad times, and we're gonna have better times ahead of us. So I really really appreciate um, the conversation. Any any last words from you guys uh, that we may not have covered off on that you want to get out? <laughs> no, no nothing, we summed it up. No, nothing from my side, but I do I do appreciate what you just said, Dirk, because I think sometimes in our technology driven world we live in, and, and cycling is probably, you know, one of the at least from a sport, we can quantify so many things. Um right. and, and I think and, and I've I've mentioned this before to other people, it's it's to me it's an advantage to having, you know, being older and being in the sport where we really were just starting to use heart rate monitors, but we really didn't know what to do with them. Mm-hmm. You had to do a lot by feel and you paid attention to how do I feel today? And, and what am yeah. I, what does this effort feel like? Is it, is it, you know, just even that RPE, right? Is this an eight out of 10, a nine out of 10? And, and so much of it, we wrap up in quantifying everything. And, and of course we use training peaks and I use WKO five, but I, I use it almost as a secondary thing. Um, because to me, the important piece, and it's also important for me to, for the athletes understand what it is they're doing and why they're doing it. And how does it feel, right? Especially when you're in the middle of a race and you look down and you go, oh my gosh, 300 Watts. I can't do that. Well, maybe you can, but if you, if you know what it feels like and you know how you felt in training, then you have the opportunity to maybe do more than you really think you could in that moment. Um, and they understand again, what it really feels like to be an athlete and they don't get so wrapped up in the numbers. And for me, and again, you can look and you can look at the numbers and say, well, Aisha, you're, you're ready to go. Well, no, I feel horrible. Well, <laughs> to me, that's important to know, right? Cause otherwise you just look and yeah. go, well, we're not robots. Right. And just because the numbers say you're ready, there may be so many other things going on in the background that we can't capture with numbers necessarily, but we can only capture them through conversations and, and through sharing of information and through sharing of, of what you're going through. And then you go, okay, I realize the numbers look great, but in the background it's chaos. And that's just not a good recipe for, for performance on that day. So let's make some modifications and let's make sure that you feel better about what you're doing. And of course there's times where you have to say, you know what, Aisha, you still got to get out and do this. 
But again, it, I can make that statement or, or or tell her that based on the other things that she shared with me. And I can tell in that particular moment, she just does need that sort of push out the door, right? That nudge to get her going. But there's other times where it's go, okay, let's pump the brakes here a little bit and come up with a plan B. Yep. And both yeah. are equally appreciated because I think <laughs> super, like, especially when I was kind of floating around by myself, like those are the hardest decisions to make, right? Like, how do you know when you're just being, you know, a punk <laughs> or if you really right. do need to, you know, chill for a day and come back to it. And um, it's really nice to have somebody who can tell you those things based on an outside unbiased <laughs> objective perspective. Um, so yeah. And for yeah. the record, I made it to the end of, I made it to the finish line that day and finished, <laughs> finished all nice. of, all of Redlands. <laughs> I did. Oh. Cry. I cried at the top out of relief because <laughs> it was awful. Yeah. <laughs> I hate that climb. <laughs> I hate it Oak, so much. Oh, Glenn. Yes. <laughs> so we'll awful. do it again. We'll do it again someday. <laughs> uh, yeah. I always, I always come back, so I must not hate it that much. oh well thank you guys so much so that was awesome i learned a whole lot and uh yeah really really appreciate being so open with uh with the audience awesome thanks for having us Dirk. thanks for listening to the training peaks coach cast for more episodes visit trainingpeaks.com slash podcasts please head on over to spotify apple music or wherever you find your podcast to subscribe rate or leave a review Until next time, get out there, train with purpose, and never be afraid to sign up for that next big challenge.